watchers in the fourth dimension. I've got a clam so cunning you could put a tail on it and call it a weasel. She's got a tongue like an electric eel and she likes the taste of a man's tonsils. Are you looking forward to the big bush? No, sir, I'm absolutely terrified. Hello and welcome to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And this episode, we're doing something a little bit different. This is actually the first time we're recording since we lost our brother and dear comrade Don. And to try and get back into the swing of recording again, we've decided to start with something completely different, which we may or may not release. Suffice to say, if you're listening to this, you know what we did. (laughs) Anyway, Julie recently watched her way through the iconic British show Blackadder for the first time. To commemorate that, we're going to talk about the show in general and then focus on Blackadder the second since that's the one Julie enjoyed the most, plus it has a tenuous connection to our Doctor Who journey with Tom Baker guest starring in an episode. For anyone not familiar with Blackadder, it's an iconic British sitcom made between 1983 and 1989 with one last special being made 10 years later in 1999. In true British style, in the six years it was broadcast, there were only four seasons of six 30-minute episodes each. (laughs) Each season stars Rowan Atkinson and Tony Robinson and a revolving supporting cast that included Tim McInerney, Miranda Richardson, Stephen Fry, and of course, the legendary Hugh Laurie. So with that, let's get down to business and discuss it. And Julie, high-level thoughts. I love this show. When did you decide that you loved it? That's what I know. Like when you started off... (laughs) You're watching it and you're like, okay, I dig this. When it first started, I was surprised by the music. I have a feeling this kind of ties into one of the reasons. Because I was like, that's a jaunty little tune. And why in the world is there just a snake and a boot? But I started with season two. I did not start with season one. I was told, watch the others before you go back and watch season one. So I did that. Though it just starts off strong. It's really stupid. But the jokes about Kate... And her dad and him saying that she needs to be a prostitute. (laughs) Immediately, I was like, this is terrible and I'm going to love it. (laughs) Julie, I'm really glad you started with the second season. I think kind of on our advice, given that season one doesn't quite follow the format that the other three seasons do. It's almost like everything's flipped. Baldrick, played by Tony Robinson, is actually the smart one and Blackadder's incredibly stupid. Well, also Blackadder, the first one is more kind of a snivelly kind of... Snivel, yes. Yeah, that's I don't know what else adjective to give to him besides that one. While in the other series, he's a lot more of the... Arrogant. The brain from Pinky and the Brain type of character. I actually love that first season in its own way, particularly the first episode, which inverts so much of Shakespeare... (laughs) Yes. Mm-hmm. And having Peter Cook as Richard III saying things like, now is the summer of our <laughs> sweet content. It just really does something for me. And you can't forget Brian Blessed in season one. Brian Blessed. Bless him. Julie, not wanting to get away from the fact that this is Julie does Blackadder. <laughs> am I right in thinking you watched two, three, four, and then went back to the first season? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yep. High level. I loved it from really the first scene that I ever watched. I like all the seasons, don't get me wrong, but I went through this multiple times. They're only 30 minute episodes, so obviously I've watched a lot of these more than once. I think one of the big reasons why I like season two is that it does have the most female presence. Mm, Yeah. Like season three 
there's really hardly any women in that season. Yeah, you get Mrs. Miggins, but... That's about it, really. That's about it, yeah. And then in season four, you get a little bit with the nurse, and you get a little bit here and there with, I think, another character, but that's also all that you get. (laughs) And then in the first season, you have the queen, but she's not a huge, like, pivotal role, whereas Miranda Richardson also is delightful i love her didn't realize what kind of filmography she has and then come to find out that she's rita skeeter in the harry potter series and i'm like what (laughs) i loved her as queen elizabeth the first and i love that whole dynamic of her and stephen fry (laughs) oh they're so good together they really are so good and don't forget nursey oh nursey We're going to talk much more in depth on them, but that's really why I lean towards season two more so than the others. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have figured out I'm a period piece type of person, but I love all period pieces. (laughs) Yep. I know some of them thought I was going to like season four the most, but little do they know, I just love all different time periods. I really just liked the Elizabethan era. It was fun. I thought that you would have picked Blackadder the Third as your favorite. Just because it's yours doesn't mean it's mine. I know. Like, for some <laughs> reason, I thought the whole Regency period would really speak to you, but it is my favorite. I will admit to that, but I don't think I was projecting myself onto you with that. <laughs> Riley, I'm curious. Do you have a favorite of the four? Funny story. I was first introduced to Blackadder when I was in seventh grade or maybe a freshman in high school. A friend of mine, his older brother had a VHS copy of the first three episodes from season two. And that's where I started. Actually, no, correction, season one. And I didn't realize I loved the series until we got to the second episode in season one where Brian Blessed, on his way to the Crusades, gives a very wonderful speech where he talks about the good Lord said to love one another, unless he's Turkish and kill the bastard. Uh, when that line was delivered like by Brian Blessed, I'm like, okay, I'm in. And so then I tried to watch episodes, but during the time where I was growing up, that was hard to do. And then Comedy Central started airing the episodes, slightly edited, though now I've realized through my rewatch, I don't know why they edited some things out completely. And I watched season two and season three and season four that way. And through the end of it all, I like season four the best. I think season four is wonderfully poignant. I remember reading that when it first went out, one of Ben Elton's relatives, it may have even been his grandfather, called him up and said, I can't believe you're making a comedy out of World War One." You both know when we talked about the war games, I talked a lot about how poignant World War One is on the British psyche. And six weeks later, when it was over, Ben Elton got a call from the same relative saying, well done, you've done us proud. I had a question for you about this, because based on what you just brought up, the anti-war humor in the fourth series is really, really prominent. It's almost every other joke or every fourth joke they make. And based on what you said before, I can't imagine how this didn't get a little bit of controversy when it originally aired outside of that story you mentioned, like more of a hubbub in the press, perhaps. Oh, it definitely did. I think there's also an element of realism on our take on history. Everyone realizes World War I was brutal. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows it was awful. We lost about half a generation of men in World War I, and then the other half were wiped out when they got home to the Spanish flu. In that time period, we lost basically an entire generation. 
And you look at it and the way it portrays trench warfare, the out of touch generals, I think our history does actually record that. Generals didn't really know what they were doing. The life in the trenches was terrible. And Blackadder portrays that realistically, albeit with some humor on it. I think that's really what it boils down to is what they were making fun of is the realistic things of looking back on it. We're like, well, it was that terrible. It's true in its humor, if that makes sense. I think the characters you have in there with Hugh Laurie, who is Lieutenant, what's his name? His character in that is Lieutenant George. Lieutenant George, yeah. With Lieutenant George being an upper-class twit who is all (laughs) gung-ho about the war, and you've got Baldrick, who's an idiot and doesn't really know what he's doing as the squaddy, and and Blackhead is the only one who's smart enough to see what an absolutely futile gesture this whole war is. It's amazing. And then to end it with having them all gunned down in cold blood, just as things actually happened in World War One, it hits all the feels. It's also interesting, too, when you look at what happened to Darling. That's also very poignant because he thought he was safe. Yeah, right. And so in this entire thing, he's acting like his superiors because he's on that side. And then when he realizes that he'll get thrown under the bus just as soon as anyone else would, I really really like that part of it. Also, I love just him being called Darling the entire season. Mm-hmm. I love all those jokes, but Darling. I think that series four is where Stephen Fry is at his best as General Malchut. Absolutely. I think that role is perfect for him. I enjoyed him in series two, but series four as Malchut, that's just him at his best. He does the pompous, blustery man of power so well. I actually think Tim McKinney is at his best in Blackadder Goes Forth as well, yes. as Darling. He plays the idiot quite well in Blackadder the Second, but kind of as this smarmy captain who thinks he's better than our heroes, he's so punchable. Yes, yes. He's actually one of my favorites throughout. Obviously, Rowan Atkinson, like you can't say much about him because it, you know it's it is all about him. But I really like. I really am terrible at the last name. <laughs> So Tim M, because I don't feel like... McKinney. McKinney. I really enjoyed him both as Percy and as Darling. I kind of think of them as slightly separate. I loved him as both. For some reason, really enjoyed him. So when he wasn't really in the third season, it kind of made me sad. There are several characters who come across the seasons, and I do want to touch on my personal favorite as we talk about this. And that is, of course, Lord Flashheart. Oh, my God. (laughs) The legendary Rick Mail. (laughs) Dear listener, we're going to try and avoid doing this too much, but Don had a real love for Rick Mail. And you can really see why, because he's just so over the top and ridiculous, and it's hard not to just fall in love with him as an actor. I love when his mustache is falling off (laughs) and he just keeps going (laughs) as if it doesn't matter. Oh, it's so good. I remember showing a friend of mine the first episode of Blackadder the Second, Bells, and the moment Lord Flashheart showed up on screen, she was absolutely enchanted. He just steals the show. And he does the same thing in Private Plane in Blackadder Goes Forth. He comes in and it's just so hard not to smile and just be like, fuck yeah, at just how ridiculous he is. In Bells, the moment he turns to Baldrick, who's of course in a dress as the bridesmaid and goes... <laughs> bridesmaid love the beard gives me something to hang on to he's 
only on screen for what, like two minutes tops? Yeah. Practically every line he gives is quotable. I think they give him just the right amount, anything more, and the joke would wear thin. You can't come out with that much energy for a long period of time. And you're right, it just wears out its welcome. You watch him in any of his other shows where he was the star, whether it's The New Statesman, whether it's Bottom or The Young Ones, and he has energy, but this is like dialed up to 11 in his two appearances. <laughs> Since we're not talking about two just yet, we'll do a deep dive on that. For him in Private Plane, I think the part that I enjoyed the most was the one downbeat joke that he does instead of always constantly like ratcheting up, ratcheting up is when he opines about how horrible the war is. And then he makes a line about in the endless poetry (laughs) (laughs) as any kid who's gone through any sort of literature class can attest. That is a true statement. Oh, I really love at the end where they confront Darling and Darling says, I didn't think rescuing Blackadder was a good use of our time and resources. And Flash Art says, well, I don't think this is a good use of my time and resources, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then headbutts Darling into unconsciousness. It just lands for me every time. The physical acting is really, really good because it's very difficult to do that, to fake that. And that's on both sides, both for Rick and for Tim. What's really funny, though, you mentioned the whole poetry thing, and it reminded me, I watched the one special the one that was made in 1999 when he goes back to Shakespeare <laughs> and then he attacks Shakespeare and is complaining that's for all the kids who've had <laughs> to sit through years of school for you. That just kind of reminded me of that part a little bit. Let us discuss this whole years and years and years of Shakespeare studying. Now we all feel about that. The specials were interesting. I didn't like a lot of the one that was in 1999. I liked certain aspects of it. I liked getting to see Queen Elizabeth I again and some other pieces. But Tim McKinnon, Mary, or how do you pronounce that last name? I don't like how he was portrayed in that 1999 one. It just seemed off to me. You know, it's the one thing I didn't watch in prepping for this tonight. So I watched it today. Is that also on BritBox? No, it's on YouTube. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, then. I'll only touch upon it since you guys didn't prep for it, but I enjoyed certain aspects of it. I like the time travel piece of like going back and changing time. And then at the end, he finally, finally gets what he wants and he becomes the king of England and Baldrick is the prime minister. (laughs) (laughs) And so they do let Black Adder actually win in the end, but... There were just a few inconsistencies with how some of the characters were acted, but that happens after however many years it was between the fourth and... Ten years. I remember they made that effectively as a Millennium special, and they built a special theatre for it in what was the Millennium Dome, is now the O2 Arena in London, and... You had a ticket to go see everything else in the Dome, and that ticket also got you in to see the Blackadder special. So I remember seeing it in that special theatre in 2000 when it was not on general release. That was the only way you could see it. And I grew up on Blackadder in history lessons. If the teacher had run out of material or it was the end of year and the exams were done and we were just killing time until school was officially out, teacher would put on Blackadder. And having something new back in 2000 was awesome. That was really, really cool. I wanted to touch on something that Julie brought up about him becoming king. I don't know if this is a new observation. It is probably not. But I had always noticed that if you look at the course of things for Blackadder's, I guess, descendants, 
from series one to series four, <laughs> if you notice, his position in life seems to get lower and lower, but the character gets smarter and smarter, and the smarter he gets, the lower <laughs> down the chain he gets. Yep. <laughs> Until in Blackadder back and forth, where he's back to being a lord. I don't know if that was done intentionally or they just happened to notice it going in that direction. They're like, okay, let's just keep this up. I do enjoy that element of it. Yeah, I don't know if it was done deliberately. Probably, I would say, knowing how smart the writers are. Can we talk about this? Because I never made connections on the writers of a lot of things out there. Okay. And so going back and looking at Richard Curtis's backlog and of just all the things that he's done... It's like all the British rom-coms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Love Actually, Bridget Jones. Four Man's Weddings genius. and a Funeral. Yes. Just oh, such, such good. Dotting Hill. A lot of those like big British things are where Richard Curtis and just to think that Black Adder was before all of that happened. It's just so good. He's a friend of Stephen Moffat and, of course, wrote, I think it was Vincent and the Doctor. Yes. That's right. That's right. Yes. One of the most moving episodes. I won't say even necessarily best, but one of the most moving. Absolutely. His timing, just the way that he writes, it's just so good. I will absolutely agree with that. I found the one other special. The Cavalier Years? Well, I, I mean, I did watch that, but that was just okay. I didn't have a lot to say yay or nay on that one. The Christmas Carol one? Christmas Carol one. I just love that it flips the Christmas Carol on its head. And <laughs> mm -hmm. that he's a good philanthropist and then the ghost comes in and is basically like all your other ancestors were terrible people and he's like why am i not a terrible person and then it becomes a terrible person <laughs> i just found that really funny that's a strong one that's a very very good one that's probably i think the best special i'd agree and i think that one has a brief appearance from nicola bryan who we haven't mm. met yet in doctor who but she will go on to be a companion to the fifth and the sixth doctors so she plays millicent blackadder's goddaughter who is apparently on the dvd credited as awful screeching woman <laughs> <laughs> it's also fun to find random actors of parts that you kind of know but aren't like huge big names. Obviously, a lot of people do know Robbie Coltrane. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's Hagrid. That's really fun. But I do know in like season two, one of the actresses in it was in Downton Abbey. Oh, yeah. And she was the cook in Downton Abbey. Why do I recognize this person? Then you look it up and you're like, that's why. That that would be why. <laughs> I do want to talk about the final episode of Blackadder the Third and how Stephen Fry's version of Wellington is completely fucking bonkers. And his whole, I challenge you to a duel using cannons. <laughs> <laughs> That's so ridiculous. And of course, you've got the same episode, you've got cousin Macadder. Yes. Oh. He's... I realize, Julie, the general lack of women is an issue for you. But that episode, the humor is just so off the wall. It just really, really works for me. Oh, I'm not saying that any of it's bad. It's just that... It's something that I ended up noticing. Mm, that makes sense. It's really not to say that, oh, well, they should have fit one in. I'm not even saying that either. I just happened to notice that there wasn't a strong female character who like ran the whole series. Yeah, that makes sense. Before we move on to a detailed look into series two, I want to know, does anyone have a particular joke or particular element of the other series that they just absolutely wanted to mention? Because I know I have one in particular that I specifically 
jotted it down in detail because I love it so much. Oh, I do have one, and that is in the first episode of Blackadder the Third, the entire election broadcast piece. <laughs> yes, that is excellent. Because I don't know if either of you have ever watched footage of British election broadcasts, but that's exactly what it looks like <laughs> and how it plays out on the BBC. And it's just brilliant. And same episode, the part where Prince George just starts clucking <laughs> because he loses his thought. So, Anthony, I take it you're going to be a future voter for the standing in the back dressed stupidly and looking stupid party? Oh, no, I'm definitely voting for the Adder Party. <laughs> but I don't want to accidentally brutally cut off my head while, while shaving. shaving. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I really liked was in the first episode of Series 4, Black Adder Goes Forth, and they're looking at the paintings and pointing out all the reasons why. And it's like, well, you're in it. And it's like, well, it's a self-portrait. And then it's yeah. like, well, it's signed George. And he's like, well, it's for the king. God save the king. <laughs> I really like that whole little sequence of Darling trying to be like, well, obviously this is yours. And Blackadder being like, well, no, I got it. An explanation for everything. I thought that was fun. Yeah. The part that I always love that I just adore so much is the, because it's become a cliche now, the idea of the gathering a gang together to do a job kind of thing, like an Ocean's Eleven thing, but we have the gathering of the most evil men in the kingdom at the last episode of series one. And just the short little bits of the little scenes that introduce them and the humorous bits to each one and their names, Sir Wilfred Death, Three-Fingered Pete, Guy de Glastonbury, <laughs> Sean the Irish Bastard, Friar Bellows, and unspeakably violent Jack Large. <laughs> all of them, all of their little introductions, that whole segment. And then, of course, the adage joke that as they keep adding members, they start holding up fingers for how many they have. And of course, Three Finger Jack can still only hold up three fingers, no matter <laughs> if there are four or five. That whole sequence is just perfect. Yes, That's I will fair. agree with that. Mm -hmm. All right, let's dig into Blackadder the second. And I realize we already touched a little bit on Bells. And Bells is such a strong opener, too. And they clearly knew it. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's a little bit like tried and true, the woman posing as a male and everything. But when it's well done, it's well done. And it's a complete break from series one. We're mm -hmm. adding all these extra actors that weren't on the show before. We've changed basically the character of Blackadder. He's a completely different person now. And we have to establish that these relationships, these dynamics, and they set it out so clearly that sets the baseline for the rest of the series. And in particular, the joke of Percy, which I thought this was such a wonderful joke, as he keeps hinting to be the best man. Yes. And then he closes the door as he leaves the room and goes in the hallway and just breaks down crying was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> poor Percy. Just how that's just given like just uh, this pitiful cry set up for humor is just really funny to me. There's also some really good lines in this one that really from pretty early on, like Percy being Percy when he's in love with think that other woman. And he's like, I'd like to meet a Spaniard who can make his way past me. Oh, <laughs> Black Adder's, well, go to Spain. There's millions of them. <laughs> Black Adder, please. 
stop being mean to Percy. And that's part of also the change is that now the whole writing style changes. Now the jokes completely shift towards a lot of wordplay, a lot of very <laughs> descriptive ways of putting people down compared to series one, where that really wasn't an element of it at all. And I wonder if that was the addition of Ben Elton. I would think so. And we haven't said her name, but Nursey fantastic a great balance to the queen and that actress's name was patsy Byrne. i wanted to see her name because i thought that as i was watching through the series i wanted to figure out one person really nailed it and should get a lot of recognition i think for series two it should be her i could see that it's again one of my reasons for liking season two so much is just there's so many strong characters you've got strong male characters you've got strong women characters so it hits all the points for me that's why I love it so much. Just a point on Patsy Byrne, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. She obviously was the one who played Nursey. She was in an episode of Zed Cars. Yes! Oh. Gotta get that in there. <laughs> oh man. Will we ever get away from Zed Cars? Never. No. Okay. No. Nope. Perfect. Zed Cars will haunt us till the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that cracks me up in that particular episode is when Blackadder goes off to see the wise woman. Oh. <laughs> there are two things you must know about the wise woman. First, she is wise. <laughs> Second, she is a woman. <laughs> oh my gosh, so ridiculous. I appreciate when he steps up there and he's like, you didn't cut the voice, I'm not a tourist. <laughs> <laughs> And then we've already talked about Flashheart and his presence. And, and that's really just having him come in at the end. Like that is just a fireworks way of ending an episode. And then, of course, the killer, killer line to end the episode from Stephen Fry is just perfect. Poor Baldrick. <laughs> poor, poor Baldrick. I love Baldrick so much. I don't know when it happened, but I think it didn't start until season three, excuse me, series three, where then he started to state that he had a cunning plan. And that was a wonderful little change up there. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on. Let's talk about the second episode, Head. It also starts off strong with Blackadder trying to teach Baldrick how to count. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about this episode, it's just so farcical. Everything about Lady Farrow going to visit her husband who's due to be executed. <laughs> so that she'd give him charge. <laughs> and he wasn't meant to be executed yet. And so Blackout is forced to pretend to be him and gets all of the details wrong. And then it even turns out that Baldrick didn't kill Lord Farrow after all. Right. <laughs> it's so ridiculous and... That level of farce just works brilliantly. The really funny thing about that, too, is that what they should have always done from the very beginning was instead of moving it up, they should have just moved it back. <laughs> I'm like, why right. did you move someone's execution up? You should have just saved it for Friday. That's actually <laughs> easier. But OK, that's fine. Then you wouldn't have the episode. So the clips that Blackadder gave in the introduction, the kind of manager meets his employees scene. Uh, <laughs> what was the line he gave? I am now the new minister in charge of religious genocide. <laughs> just... Yes. <laughs> I enjoyed that because it just it was a wonderful kind of send up of your classic. Hey, everybody, I'm your new boss. Tell me about yourself. How do things work? Stuff like that. It's just it, to have that with the work that they're doing is just wonderfully dark. I also love that Baldrick's explanation is just that it's a hobby. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> 
Also, in real life, he would definitely not have been the executioner because executioners knew a little bit more about the human body than Baldrick ever would. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could learn on the job. He can't count to four, Anthony. Yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> I was giving him too much credit. Again, I love Percy, and you look like a bird who swallowed a plate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ugh. But then, like, you know, the next time you see him and he's like, well, today fashion is towards the tiny. <sighs> Percy. Percy. <laughs> and I love Percy being like the middle manager. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, employees, I want to talk to you about oh. how it went. <laughs> <laughs> they just always leave the room. <laughs> no one's going to listen to you, Percy, I promise. And Queen just... This is, I think, Miranda Richardson's best episode, in my opinion. This one in particular. Her relationship with Black Adder is so confusing because part of it where it seems like she likes him and yet she's always trying to get him killed. So I can't quite figure it out. <laughs> I think she just loves having people executed. Yes. <laughs> the way they describe her, she's often depicted as kind of being a bored child that just gets amusement from the ability to just cause a person to be able to be killed at one moment or executed one moment or be her next suitor in the following moment. So that's something that keeps her life interesting and fun. (laughs) I love that kind of childishness that they give her. Oh, it's adorable and terrifying at the same time. (laughs) And you could believe a monarch in that day of absolute monarchy could very easily end up like that. Yeah. (laughs) And yet Nursey continues to have some of the best lines with, Ointment. That's what you need when your head's cut off. <laughs> no, you don't have a head, Nursey. Uh, I love Nursey. She's such an idiot. <sighs> I can't wait till we get to the one episode. Are we on to potato now? Let's talk about potato. And this is where we get Tom Baker. Oh, yeah. And he is excellent in this. He is so much fun in this. He's excellent, but also not super recognizable. True. They did a good job with the makeup on him. There's also another significant guest star in this one, Simon Jones as Sir Walter Raleigh. And Simon Jones, of course, was Arthur Dent in the TV version of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's a fairly big name for those of us who are fans of classic BBC sci-fi. But yeah, Tom Baker, there are so many times in this where I wondered whether he was actually scripted (laughs) or if they just kind of said, just be Tom Baker, because he's kind of eccentric as a person anyway. I suspect they just kind of said, All right, Tom, just go for it. Very basics. You are a captain of a ship. Now go have fun. (laughs) As little information as possible. All the, you have a woman's bottom. I can imagine Tom Baker coming (laughs) up with that himself. (laughs) I couldn't help but think, maybe that's just kind of a stereotype of the old captain, the old sea dog. I kept thinking of Quint from Jaws. (laughs) Now, if he could give the US Indianapolis monologue from Jaws... Tom Baker as that character, I would pay to see that. (laughs) You say Quint, and I'm like, "Uh, then there's Captain Ron, but a lot of people don't know that movie. Ah, it's such a good movie. I do know that movie. It's brilliant. Anyway, this one is just your stereotypical Blackadder just trying to impress the queen by doing something stupid. (laughs) Yes, and I love it. Yes. (laughs) I love the fact that they intend to just go to France and then like, oh, well, then we'll just circle around the Isle of Wight. And then they actually do what they did not intend to do, but they said they were going to do. It's just a wonderful twist. I absolutely love that. 
there's just something so ridiculous about this episode that just really does it for me. It's so many of these episodes. <laughs> Let's be honest. I think the most eccentric, we haven't gotten to the most eccentric one yet. The one with his relatives is the most eccentric oh. one. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get that. <laughs> In fact, isn't that the next one? Money. Hang on. We have Bell's Head, Potato. Money is the fourth episode. Yes. Beer is the fifth. Right, and money uh -huh. is about the bishop in beers about his relatives you're right you're right i was getting confused because of course the one with the relatives is about the inheritance yes exactly all right well let's talk about this bishop of bath and wells oh boy this one is probably the darkest one out of all of them mm -hmm. oh yes it's because the baby eating bishop of bath and wells <laughs> character i mean i guess the joke is he's just so horrible and disgusting, utterly repulsive, that to me, I feel like they hit so heavy on that, that at a point I'm like, okay, where's the humor? He's just a horrible, horrible person. Like, where's the added joke? I guess it's because he's a bishop, right? But yep. to me, it's like, well, that doesn't seem that far off. <laughs> but I think if you think about it, this came out in 1986. So a lot of the scandals ah, that we now point. associate with the church hadn't quite come round yet and then on top of that the church of england it's not even the catholic church yeah. right so the church of england has this reputation of being kind of nice and fluffy and then you've got this bishop of bath and wells who's the baby eating bishop <laughs> absolutely bonkers there's still some great things that happen in here though i love when he's with molly is his lovely lady that he had at the very beginning and <laughs> Black Adder's going on and on about how terrible he is, and I'm always like, but he treats me as like a human being. And then it's, if I wanted a lecture of the rights of man, I would have gone to bed with Martin Luther. Oh, yeah. And I just, I don't really want to have that image of Martin Luther in bed. <laughs> but thank you. That's what I really wanted to know. But I love the, the lengths in which he goes in order to get this thousand pounds. And first it's selling the house, and then it's to paint an inappropriate portrait with Percy dressed up as... I don't know what he was dressed up as. <laughs> There's also Percy attempting to use alchemy to make gold, but oh, instead God. making green. Which, when I rewatch this episode, I'm like, this has got to be Anthony's favorite episode. It's got alchemy in it. Alchemy. <laughs> but yeah, trying to poison the bishop. <laughs> I mean, it's just... Who comes up with these plans? Like, at least later on when Baldrick is the one saying, I have a clever plan, like, you know it's going to be terrible. Black Adder, are you really not this smart? I think it's just desperation, yeah. which makes it even funnier, but also even more tragic. Which, of course, is our wonderful little bit that's you know divides the axe, as in each time he maybe gets one step forward, he gets called into court, and then the queen takes money off of him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> for really no reason at all other than just for some sort of inside joke. <laughs> and of course, there's the ending where... Uh, ah, yes. Poor Percy. Yes. Poor, poor Percy. I'm really curious about the design of that outfit, among <laughs> other things, but... Best not to ask. <laughs> it's something special. But no, all of these are just so good. All right, so let's move on to beer, which, of course, I got confused with money. But in this case, we've got the relatives in one side, the Puritans. And then on the other side, we've got a drinking competition between Blackadder and Melchit. And I have to ask, I understand it from like, I've been to Mardi Gras, but what was the focus on the fake tits? <laughs> 
Is that a British thing? And the dick on their head? Yeah. A British pub crawl can get very, very silly. It doesn't have to be, but it can do. And I get the feeling there are probably a bunch of in-jokes amongst these guys that have led to the fake boobs and Uh, to the dicks and, and what have you that just keep going as they get into this drinking contest. Okay. All right. I mean, it's the perfect scenario. You've got your straight laced stick up their ass people are coming over for dinner and you've got these idiots who are drinking over here and the queen is also trying to get involved with all of this, which is a terrible idea. But I think even the best part is that even with the Puritan side, it's really just the wife who's the Puritan, and I think the husband is just there along for the ride. The reveal of him as they leave, (laughs) giving thanks to Blackadder for the evening was really wonderful. And the thing is, is like this episode in particular is really based upon a very, very classic sitcom premise. The, oh, I have guests over to my home. I have to impress them. Oh, but this other side of my life accidentally is crashing and I'm trying to keep it separated. And how do I do that? And the misunderstandings and so on. It's very classic. Absolutely. And I love just how ridiculous and taken to extremes their puritanical beliefs are. Oh. <laughs> Chairs are the work of Satan. Mash foodstuffs are the work of Satan. Family is the work of Satan. Warmth is the work of Satan. It's just... It's again, it's dialed out to 11. My favorite is especially with the mashed vegetable thing, because then you get the turnip that looks like a penis and she's like, perfect. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay, great. How did you miss that? Okay, it's fine. Because warmth is the work of Satan because cold is God's way of telling us to burn more Catholics. <laughs> oh, my people. I'm so sorry. Watch out, Julie. I know. <laughs> I also like when we get towards the end. Oh. There's another stripper, and it's a male stripper. Oh, wait, and now this one's dressed as the queen, and they're, like, sexy. She's in this full giant gown, but she's sexy. Oh, it's so good. And this is the first appearance of Hugh Laurie on the show as one of the drunken guests. Yes. And he's as fantastic as he always will be. And he's going to show up in the next episode, too. That's what we call a segue. That is the final episode, Chains. I love this one so much. The setup is so good because it's the the queen saying, no more ransoms. And then her two favorite people to play with both get kidnapped. And that just makes me so happy. It's just so good. I mentioned the series seemed to go in a certain direction as Blackadder, the smarter he gets, the further down the chain he gets. But I feel like in just these six episodes of this series, from episode one to episode six, the, for lack of a better term, the zaniness just keeps getting higher than the episode <laughs> previous to it. It builds upon itself to a point where the ending of the entire series where Nurse's in a damn cow costume, <laughs> which looks utterly strange and bizarre, and everyone else's... <laughs> utterly? Ah, yeah. That's how we end it. Let's get a little bit of perspective here. How do all the series end? Usually with deaths. Series two ends everyone in crazy costumes. It's a much more lighthearted one. Um, Until the post-credits sequence. Uh, There's a post-credits. Yes. yes. Classic Marvel. Oh, wait, no. (laughs) (laughs) Marvel before Marvel. (laughs) Absolutely. But Prince Ludwig. Uh, 
<laughs> just the idea of him is bonkers and then the portrayal of him is is just so over the top yeah and i think he laurie is absolutely delightful as him <laughs> and is clearly having the best time my question is it's pretty clear that they heard Hugh Laurie's accent for the character and said, it sounds terrible. Let's go for it. It's hilarious <laughs> with how bad it is. It's really funny because at this early stage of his career, he was not good with accents. If you watch any episodes of the sketch show he did with Stephen Fry, a bit of Fry and Laurie, the episodes where he has to do an American accent, that accent is terrible. <laughs> there is very little sign of the Hugh Laurie that 20, 30 years later, oh, yeah. Americans would go, wait, House is British? <laughs> <laughs> also interesting how this is, again, perhaps foreshadowing because we have this German threat to the throne and then the very next series. <laughs> you got Hugh Laurie as the German Prince Regent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The way that they build upon themselves, just in, even in between seasons, is remarkable of how much they're able to carry over. And to that point, Julie, you then go from the season with the German king and the German prince regent to the season where we're at war with the Germans. I mean, it's so back and forth. <laughs> yep, that's why season one really doesn't fit. Yeah. There are no Germans. No, there's no Germans. <laughs> I know we already touched upon the whole cow thing, but I especially <laughs> love the fact that he knew that it wasn't Nursey because it was too good of a cow and that Nursey <laughs> was too obsessed with udders. <laughs> <laughs> just, that is the most bizarre thing. An udder fixation. Okay, great. Thanks. That's a kink I didn't need to know that Nursey had. And yet now you do. You're welcome, Julie. <laughs> All right, so I guess the only question that remains since we've talked about all six episodes is what's your favorite of the six, if you had to pick one? I definitely think the first half of the series is stronger than the second half. So I think I will go with Head. Okay. It allows Miranda Richardson's character to really explode onto the scene for the entire series, shows her as a threat. It makes tremendous fun of death. That's my favorite. Fair. I really like bells. It's, again, it's a common trope, but it's well done. The opening sequence and the opening being a father to tell his daughter to be a prostitute and he'd rather have <laughs> her do that than pose as a male is just bonkers. And <laughs> the setup of Percy and all the other characters, it's a really good opening act, even though like there's not really much of a plot through the season so to speak so it's not like setting up characters that are going to change much throughout but it's a really good of letting you know who all characters are and how they interact together it's just well done exactly and i think for that reason bells is my favorite as well although there is the obvious other reason <laughs> and that is lord flashheart <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's also fair that scene is just so show-stealing. It's hard not to name that as possibly my favourite moment in the entire season. And the way he breaks the fourth wall, looks at the camera and goes, oh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> yeah. It's just, ah, uh, it's perfection. Rick Mail, the absolute genius. With that, I think we should probably wrap it up. Any final thoughts? My final thought is, if you haven't seen it, go watch Blackadder. It's hilarious, please. 
You could probably watch it all in a day. I concur. Absolutely watch it if you haven't already seen it. I also do recommend starting at season two and going back to watch season one at the very end, just because it is so different. And I think that for especially modern audiences, they're going to react better to those other seasons. And I'm going to sign us off. We've been the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension, the all-new Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. Thank you for listening. And in the words of General Melchit, bah. <laughs> Thank you and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Anthony Williams, Riley Shrek, and myself, Julie Filipek. This bonus episode, Utterly Ridiculous, was recorded on Thursday the 20th of April 2023. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available through your favorite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All those things really do help the show. And always remember, I do love it when you get cross. Sometimes I think about having you executed just to see the expression on your face. <laughs>